Welcome to the Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matias Baker Mazzucci. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of our show. Today, we are talking to attorney Noel Minto. Noel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Noel, it's has founded her own firm, which now has six attorneys. It's NM Law. Uh, she specializes in business and estate planning. Um, Noel, let's delve right into it. Um, one of the things that uh, I think people it's very often misunderstood is the process of business succession, because businesses can be complex. So when somebody comes to you, when a business owner comes to you, and they have, you know. Um, what are the steps that you take essentially to understand what what should be done for you know to plan for their business when in their absence? Yeah, I mean, I always say begin with the end in mind, right? So it's mm-hmm. never too early to start having a conversation about your exit. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of clients I have that are in their seventies and eighties who have been trying to transition out for mm-hmm. more than a decade. Um, wow. And they don't want to leave their employees high and dry. You know, they they don't want to uh, leave value or money on the table for their um, heirs and loved ones. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot that can be done. And, you know, I always uh, you, you have to sort of make a decision whether your business is suitable for an outside sale mm-hmm. uh, to a third party or if it's possible to really count on sort of legacy where it's going to be inside to either key employees even considering something like an ESOP, which is an employee, you know, stock option plan where the employees have the equity and they have the drive to make it work. Um, or is it going to be a family succession? And if it is, okay. you better have that kiddo or niece or nephew in that business, committing to that business way before you ever want to transition out. So that's just a little bit about what we need to be thinking about, um, you know, before a transition can take place. Now, it seems like in the... Um... Well, at least, I mean, me as an Italian, you know, the, the family succession seems like what people are always uh, striving for. It's like, you know, my kids will take over my business. And then obviously things don't necessarily plan out that way. Uh, but in that event, so let's say that somebody comes to you with a business and they say, look, I wanted to stay within the family. Um, when you're doing the estate planning, so the business is part of, you know, some of this, they, they could be, you know, LLCs or, or you know, um, corporations. What are the steps that somebody has to take to make sure that the succession, I mean, from 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 a legal standpoint, you know, like if you have, you know, multiple signers on accounts and things like that, how do you get, sort of gather everything and say, okay, these are the things we need to do to make sure that there is continu- continuity within your family? Right. So if we're focusing just on family succession, yeah. uh, I think we need to segregate in our minds business management and business mm-hmm. ownership. Okay. Because they don't always have to be together. Right. Mm-hmm. And every business is so different in terms of how it operates and its functionality that you may be able to have the majority or all of the shares or membership units in the case of an LLC uh, continue on, um, mm-hmm. you know, to other family members, either when you retire or when you pass away um, with management being a piece of that. 
mm-hmm. or not at all. So, you know, uh, an example is oftentimes what we'll do is we'll put shares, um, we'll put non-voting shares in an irrevocable trust for the benefit of children, right? right? So that's the ownership piece. And we can do that well before there's any death or any retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, you know, maybe for estate tax planning reasons or other reasons, asset protection reasons, you know, they're passing mm-hmm. on to the next generation. Um, but that does not mean that that ne- next generation controls, right? Because they're non-voting shares. Right. right. So they're just along for the ride. And then we continue to have consolidated ownership in key management people, whether it's generation one, two, or three. So we can have, you know, brother number one, who's, you know, got his MBA running the show with, you know, other brother who's an artist and sister, you know, who's a teacher, um, reaping the benefit of that on the distribution side. So um, that's one of the many, many ways we can sort of slice it and dice it. It's just people need to have, um, they need to have it really clear in their mind who's going to be, you know, minding the store, right? Um, that makes that makes total good. sense. That was actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. I'm glad that you actually touched upon that because not all kids are created equal. You know, I have four kids and now they're very small, so I don't know their what's going to happen. You know, in you know as far as business succession is concerned. But um, you have you know, like you said, some people may be interested in handling the everyday management of the company. They may be really interested in doing that. While some other ones, like you said, an artist, a teacher, so. You can distinguish that by, you know, like everybody can um, take advantage of the um, income of the company in a certain amount, the net proceeds, shall we say, while those that are involved in the management can also have management compensation, right? That's something that that's that somebody would structure in their in their plan. Right. But, you know, I guess 20 years of experience in doing this and, and um, our firm also does a fair amount of trust litigation. I will, mm-hmm. you know share a word to the wise, which is I I often hear, you know, rumblings um, either during the planning or after the fact. And then God forbid, we're retained to litigate this matter, right? Between mm-hmm. siblings. There is a lot of resentment that can be, uh, that can exist when you've got somebody, uh, you know, bearing all of the weight on their shoulders and then siblings are, you know, off in Vegas for the weekend, enjoying this leisurely lifestyle because they're not, you know, grinding to keep the business uh, functioning. So I really, you know, we've got to make it equitable, right? At the next generation down, um, because a lot of times what I hear from the children who are inheriting um, the business, right? And maybe other people uh, inherit, let's say homes or brokerage accounts or things that are, you Mm -hmm. know, very easily liquidated and don't have to be earned or maintained, and they say, well, God, if I had my, you know, the option to have $5 million cash or $5 million business that I have to keep running to take, you know, um, any sort of cash flow from, I, I would have rather have had that brokerage money, right? Mm-hmm, right. And so um, we've got to address that, right? And we've got to make sure that it's it's fair. Um, we can have all of them owning the business, right, equally, but then maybe we already build into the succession plan on the business side, that they're going to get a million dollars a year of, you know, compensation or perquisites, right? Things that mm-hmm. are um, in recognition of all that additional effort. Because right. the, my sort of guiding light always in what I do on the planning side, because I was born out of trust litigation in the first five years of my practice. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, just hate not just the inefficiency of the court, but I, I hate what it does to families. Um, right. Is my guiding light is, are we going to leave this family intact, right? Or are we setting up a plan 
that is going to boil over the minute the matriarch or patriarch is no longer there to keep the lid on. Mm-hmm. Um, we really need to have honest conversations to to make sure we're not setting them up for failure. Because at the end, only the lawyers are going to win if that happens. That makes total sense. That's great. You know, actually having, having a background in litigation, I guess, helps you to sort of like uh, look at the red flags and say, okay, this is something that, you know, it's easily litigated. This is what happens, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for elucidating on that. That was actually very well explained. And I really appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I, you know, that I've noticed, it, it, you know, in this short time that we spent together is that, you know, you really are conscious about the fact that not all estates are created equals. And and that's, you know, and that, and that's very, uh, uh, speaks volume as to the way you run your practice. One of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about the business succession, you know, the options is also having like the employees, you know, become owners of the company, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if somebody does not know exactly where the business will go, whether it's it's um, it's uh, you know uh, prime for a sale or whether they want to give it to the employee, um, do you help them guide and understand what would what may be the best options for this particular business? Yeah, I mean, to the extent I can, right? Uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I am just the lawyer in the room, right? And there are experts, transition experts, um, business right. consultants that really do focus on that, and they know okay. the market, they they know what's going on, they know what the multiplier of that particular business is, right? So, you know, I like to share what I see with my other clients because, again, after twenty years, that's that's the, you know the aggregate shared experience that I have with my clients. I like to pass on. Um, but I really, if they really don't know, I think it, it's probably appropriate to bring in somebody that is a transition expert, um, at least for them to get their bearings and then, you know, we can handle it from there. But, um, you know, I, I, I share the war stories and then hopefully it, <laughs> it sheds some light on what their options might be. That makes total sense. Uh, so you can, you know, you work in conjunction with experts. If somebody has, doesn't have, you know, transition experts or people who do business valuation and things like that, you can certainly point your clients out in the right direction, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Now, we 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 mentioned something, you know, that, that not all estates are created equal. And one of the things that I, that, that you know, while I was doing my research is that, you know, you've worked with, with a variety of clients, you know, including athletes and, you know, uh, YouTube personalities. So how are this, you know, how are things different, you know, when somebody has, you know, let's say not that you're unusual, um, you know, residuals and things like that, or people as work, have, have, you know, are receiving royalties for certain things. How do you incorporate that, you know, um, in an estate plan? To the best, you know, to the best you, you, you can, um, because things are so much more dynamic, I'd say, right? If you're second generation of a manufacturing business, mm-hmm. it's things are kind of plugging along. You, you might have a, a new large client, uh, you know, that that um, makes the estate slightly larger or mm-hmm. a, a bad year makes it slightly smaller. But in the case of like an NFL player, you know, if you, for example, win the Super Bowl and get all sorts of endorsements, like your estate could quadruple overnight, right? Right. So we can only plan for what we think is sort of um, reasonably likely. Um, and, and so beyond catching them, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, with travel schedules and everything else, it's always very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. So one word is make sure you have a third party authorization for the business manager or whomever, so you can keep things moving forward <laughs> is one lesson I've learned. Um, but the other important lesson is, you know, you've got to look at things, I'd say at a minimum every two years um, mm-hmm. with people who are in 
sports or entertainment because okay. sometimes I'm shocked at, oh God, you got this endorsement and now, you know, things have changed or you've moved to a different state, right? Yeah. In the case of sports teams, mm-hmm. um, they might get traded and all of a sudden you've got, they're in a, a state that has state estate tax or inheritance right. tax. So new analysis, um, you know, every couple of years is probably best practice. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Um, another one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is that um, you have you do a lot of community involvement. And um, I, I had, you know, as I was reading your bio, you had mentioned about, you know, charitable remainder trust, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you help people that, you know, um, a lot of people want to do good, but they may not necessarily know exactly how to go about it. Uh, both from a tax efficiency standpoint and also from the fact even of giving back to the community. So when somebody that is coming to you with an estate plan is thinking, you know, I want to, I really want to leave a big chunk of my, of my estate to charity, et cetera, et cetera. How do you go about, you know, sort of like setting that up for them so that it's beneficial during their lifetime as well. And if they want to take an active involvement into where the money is going, um, how can you help with that? So sort of, the two sides of that are, is some clients come in with a very firm idea of where they want to leave their money, right? Okay. And other people are really benevolent, but they don't have, you know, a pet charity that they're closely tied to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it's the latter, um, I, I really, I review grant applications every year for a community foundation. Okay. Um, and it is just the, the number of how many wonderful, small, very tiny issue focused um, mm-hmm. charities there are is astounding to me. I mean, it's really actually right. quite a heartening experience for me to say, oh, there are good people out in the world doing good work because with what we see in the news, sometimes <laughs> it's, right. it's uh, easy to forget that. And so, you know, I, I, I do like to highlight how impactful a gift could be from a client of mine in, in these organizations that have lean and mean overhead Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not the popular, um, glitzy charities that everybody has in their organization. They get a lot of attention. They don't have the big galas. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, every penny that they give is going to be transformational to a particular community or a particular problem. Um, so I'm always glad to sort of connect them to maybe these unique organizations if they don't already have a good idea of where they want to earmark it. Um, and then, you know, Charitable remainder trusts. Now, again, it, it fluctuates based on tax code and and mm-hmm. sort of um, you know the formulas that we apply, um, and and that ebbs and flows always. But charitable remainder trusts are my absolute favorite thing to do because it's um, it, it's so symbiotic, right? The clients get such a huge benefit immediately on the initial tax write off, and then this sort of long standing benefit to the family. Mm-hmm. which also, you know, provides just, you know, such a large gift to these charitable organizations. Um, there's also charitable lead trusts. And, and you know, how I always like to start is we, we usually involve CPAs, our client CPAs relatively early, or sometimes they have a financial advisor that's advising them on this. And I like to just do illustrations. I'm a numbers okay. person. So I put it on a spreadsheet and um, I know it's, it's exciting to me when I go, oh my <laughs> gosh, look, this is the net benefit to you. You're going to get you know, a, a $1.6 million write-off this year to offset yeah. whatever gain you have. And then at the end of the day, your family's going to get all this money back, you know? And, and um, so I just like to speak through the numbers. <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. I sound a little dorky when I say that, but it, it, it's motivating to me. So. 
No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. I mean, people are interested in, in seeing, you know, where, where is the money going, et cetera, et cetera. Um, another question that I wanted to ask, and I'm going to uh, put you a little bit on, on the spot in this, with this question, because uh, I know the obvious answer. So um, it, to, in order to, because you have a background in litigation, in order to preserve family harmony in estate planning, the answer that I often get is communication. Apart from communication, so that's the question that it's a little bit, what else can somebody do to make sure that family family harmony is preserved through the estate yeah. planning process? Okay, so, so <clears throat> you know, I, I think acknowledging the demons, you know, or uh, shortcomings of your children and calling them out in the document itself. Um, mm-hmm. And not to say, oh, this person's selfish, right? But I just mean, if you know they have a drug addiction, then we need drug testing language in the document, right? right? If we know they have a gambling issue. If we know that they have an issue with, you know, um, suing, right? Mm-hmm. I had a case where um, the sister had sued on three family members' estates. Hello. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, we could see the writing on the wall, right? And so, um, I I like to speak through evidence or what can be evidence, right? And mm-hmm. so you you build your file um, to combat any potential challenges. And mm-hmm. you can only do that through communication, by the way, because the client needs to say, hey, here's what's going on. I have to have complete honesty um, so that I know what the issues are because I cannot read my client's mind. And they know best if they're being honest. Mm-hmm. And then I can say, you need to go to the doctor. You need to get a letter that says X. You need to put it in the file and it needs to be as close to the signing date as possible so that we're, you know, we have a fortified file here because if you die in 27 years, I can't go back and get a medical opinion on what happened 27 years ago. Were they in the right mind? Were they not? What medications were they taking? You know, and so that's just one example. Um, and again, that's maybe the litigation background where I think if I were litigating this case, and I wanted to make sure that my trust was upheld in court, what is a judge going to need to see, right? Mm-hmm. And how can I um, have that all queued up so that when I get a little nasty gram from, you know, the attorney from, you know, spoiled sister number two, mm-hmm. um, I can say, have at it. Here's 17 ways we're going to defeat that, right? Um, rather than just a lot of puffery, which is typically not how I work. That's wonderful. I love that. Very nice. Very well explained. Um, let me ask you a question. What 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 was the reason you moved away from litigation? You seem like, you know, from the short conversation we've had, like somebody who would be in court, you know, doing very well. I do talk to a lot of attorneys. I spend quite a bit of time in, in probate court uh, confirming real estate sales. So uh, what made you decide to to move away from litigation? Oh, it, that's that's an easy one. Um you know, I like to work with intelligent people making rational decisions, um, which is not always in, you know, really trust litigation is the other family litigation, right? And it's even more emotional or triggering for people because we're talking sibling rivalries that might have started at the age of five because, you right. know, you got the better toy. Um, and I, I really, really disdain the inefficiency of court. Everything I do, I like to do for maximum efficiency and you just can't, you know, you can't do that. And I I just feel this is so much more rewarding is I'm shielding my clients from ever having to go through that because I personally hate it so much. Right. 
Um, so I, I, I just feel like I can accomplish more in this venue. And I, I feel deeply saddened when people have to go through litigation. I mean, I really try and do everything I can to keep them out. That's that, that, that is wonderfully explained. And I totally understand. Um, uh, if anybody, I always make this joke, you know, sometimes a probate court, it's like an episode of Jerry Springer. I have honestly seen yes. that, you know, like mom sent you to medical school. They didn't send me to medical school. Exactly. Ah, it's like things like that. So, you know, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's hard to believe it, but that's really what's, what's taking place in court a lot of the time. Um, right. I, um, I'm, I'm so fascinated by your journey. Uh, how did, let's talk about where, where did you grow up? I actually, well, I was born, if you want to go way back, uh, my dad was studying for the bar exam at UCLA. I was born at UCLA student housing. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so basically born and raised in LA um, and then um, moved to Orange County after college. I, I went to school on the East coast and um have been back here more or less, although I referenced uh, to you that I did have a stint in Italy and lived in Europe for for several years on and off. But um, in the U.S., California is my home. (laughs) That's wonderful. And and you speak Italian, which is something that I definitely want to highlight and Spanish and French, which is wonderful. Yes. Um, French is, uh, you know, I need to take a trip. It's it's quite a bit rusty, but um, I use my Italian with my kids a little bit. So it's not totally um, gone by the wayside. That's great. That's great. I'm in the same boat when it comes to French. It's the only language that I actually studied in school, and it's the language that I speak the least. Spanish, it's very easy to, to, to exercise every day. You know, I talk Spanish, so that one, that one just keeps getting better. Um, let me ask you about the decision you made to become an attorney. When did you know that you wanted to to be an attorney? I know you just revealed to us that your dad was an attorney. He's an attorney. So, um, what, what happened? Yeah, you know. It was a little bit of a roundabout way because um, I have an undergrad degree in international affairs and I was studying to be a diplomat and I sort of um, looked at, you know, what is the most likely uh, or well-used degree of diplomats and over 30% of diplomats have law degrees, right, Mm -hmm. rather than a specific um, master's or PhD. And so I said, okay, I'll do that because that's good sort of um, general analysis and so on. Um, and, and so that was still my plan, even as I graduated law school, but of course, you know, there was this amazingly huge law school debt and, um, and I needed to take a, a, a break. And so I just decided to do private practice and then, mm-hmm. you know, I really fell in love with it, but I do think the, the tenets of, of, um, just the big picture problem solving is is something I do, but I do it in, in a much smaller context, right? And a much more solvable issue than, you know, something like a global warming or economic development of the Southern Cone of, of South America, right? These are big, big issues that you spend a lifetime and may not resolve, whereas I can get resolution for my clients. <laughs> so it's a little more satisfying. <laughs> That's wonderful. So you started right after, right after law school, you went into private practice and, um, did you uh, did you open your firm right away? Oh no, no, I worked actually for uh, another firm down here in Newport Beach, and um, and in fact, I I got the job before I even passed the bar exam. So I called because I knew I wanted to work in trust and estates and business mm-hmm. transactions day one. Because wow. again, rational people making intelligent decisions, right? And and um, yeah. and so I called the firm and I said, you know, here's why I think I'd be an asset. 
I want to be in the door. We'll negotiate later when I get my bar results. But right now, this is where I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And they said, we're not really hiring for that position, but we like we like your um, tenacity. So come on in. And that's that's how I got my first job. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, Noel, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, before I let you go, though, I, I want to do my back of the business card. So I have uh, I want you to pick a number, if you indulge me, between <laughs> 1 and 30. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go for, do I tell you what the number is? Yeah. yeah okay, number 17. 17. Oh, my God. Look, why were you given your name? That's okay. Question, that's question number 17. All that's right. Um, well, my name is Noelle. It's obviously, um, so it's French. Um, and I was supposed to be born on Christmas. I was not. I was very late. Um, but my parents did not come up with the name. So my grandfather, who was French, um, suggested Noelle. And they said, that's great. We'll we'll stick with that. So that's how I got my name. My, my uh, mother's father named me. And they just grabbed at it because it was that or nothing at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, one more. Pick, pick one more number for me between one and 30. Let's go unlucky number 13. 13, okay. Has reading a book ever changed your life? Ooh, gosh. I mean, in the aggregate, they have, right? Through <laughs> yeah. knowledge, but yeah, I think so. I think there are a few books that have really just kept it with me. I mean, I could dork out on a lot of business administration books that I read, right? right being the, uh, you know, the managing partner here, but I, I, on a more personal level, I, I would say I really liked Catcher in the Rye. I mean, there are so many that, that I just, I really feel like were transformational. I read them at the right time, right? Where they meant something to me in my youth. So yes, a lot of them. That's great. That's wonderful. And what what is the title that stands out? Nonfiction. Catcher in the Rifle Fiction. I'll take that. I love that book as well. Uh, give me a nonfiction title that, that stands out to you when you think about it. Well, okay. Again, I, I really feel like I need to get a life when I say this. But I, <laughs> I think um, from a business administration perspective, um, Traction was really useful for me. Um, Adam Grant's Think Again, which is, you know, just, again, sort of looking at things um, with curiosity and understanding that, you know, we're not these overly confident or, you know, we don't have imposter syndrome kind of being somewhere in the middle where you stay curious um, and many, many more. I'll stop. There. I love it. OK, that's <laughs> wonderful. That's that's really great. Now. One last thing before I let you go. Uh, anybody that needs to get a hold of you uh, that listens to this interview and is interested in hiring your firm, what is the best way to reach you? Um, they're always free to email me. It's noelle at mentocounselors.com um, or call 949-253-0000. That's our Orange County office. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Grazie, uh, Matias. Prego, we didn't even talk a little Italian. Let's just no, sign no. off in Italian. Grazie a tutti. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Probate Realtor Show. Find more episodes and interact with us at probaterealtor.la. That's probaterealtor.la. Listen, ask questions, and get results. Don't forget to like and subscribe. 
The probate realtor Matias Baker Mazzucci is a licensed real estate broker in California, DRE number 02054763. Any legal information provided is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Contact an attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal issue or problem. We make no guarantees as to the accuracy of any information. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.